Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. To try a free trial of MUBI, go to MUBI.com slash FilmStage. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash FilmStage. I see my folks getting on. Hello, this is Michael Snydell, uh, not Brian Rowan, your usual host. He had uh, something else he had to deal with tonight, so you are unfortunately uh, stuck with me for the night. But I am here nonetheless to uh, bring you your weekly uh, film stage show. And uh, today I'm joined by our usual chair, Bill Graham. Woo! And we are also joined by uh, guest Abby Olchesi. Um, did I say that right, Abby? I only asked you about 15 times before we started. You did. You got it. You got it perfectly. First try. So good job. <laughs> Wonderful. Abby, would you like to introduce yourself briefly? Yeah, sure. Uh, I am the film editor for The Pitch Magazine, which is a uh, alt-monthly magazine based in Kansas City, where I live. Uh, and I am also the co-host of the Cinemaholics podcast, among many other uh, freelance bylines here and there along the internet. Yeah, I, I uh, partly reach out to you in in part because you have actually written about the film we're going to talk about uh, today, which is uh, Kirsten Johnson's Dick Johnson is Dead. Uh, twice now, uh, once even before COVID, which, um, that was a while, or I believe it was before COVID. It looked like March. I can no longer keep track. Yeah, it, it was, it was like literally right before COVID. It was at the, uh, the true false film festival. So yeah, this ended up being one of the last movies that I got to see in a theater. So that's pretty memorable. Yeah, that is very memorable and hopefully it will not be one of the last, uh, but, uh, you know, instead of, uh, thinking about all of the ways that, uh, COVID, uh, has changed our lives, let's instead talk about them. So let's, uh, we're doing our usual COVID corner. Um, so Abby, this is essentially where for some reason on a weekly basis, we're talking mm-hmm. about, uh, things that are exciting or anything, or how have you been handling quarantine? Or quarantine. So, how have you been handling quarantine? That very loaded question. Gosh, yeah, that is that is the question, isn't it? Um, I've been I've been handling it okay. Uh, just hanging out with uh, with my two cats who keep me company most of the day. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been fortunate to stay pretty busy um, on the freelance side of things, finding a lot of streaming titles to watch uh, and having a lot of uh, good and wise friends and family who stay healthy and separate from things so that I can still see them socially distanced and safely on occasion. So yeah, things could be a lot worse given the circumstances. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the world could be a lot better. So there's that too. <laughs> Are your cats good or bad coworkers? Oh, that's a good question. They are um, they are fickle coworkers. We'll say that they uh, <laughs> they spend most of the time curled up behind my laptop on my desk uh, so that they can get the most heat from both my computer and the lamp right above it. 
Um, and so when they are sleeping and warm and happy, then they're fine. Uh, but when they're hungry, they are very difficult and uh, that, that causes some productivity issues. I'm going to guess they're hungry more than would probably be uh, preferred. A <laughs> little bit, yeah. Yeah, you find out when you're gone for most of the day at work, when you're suddenly working from home all day long, that uh, the cats realize that you're around for longer to play with them and feed them whenever they feel like it. Mm-hmm, and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we've had to have some negotiations on that front, but we're doing okay now. I Well, I hope they're only good negotiations. Uh, which Mostly. reminds me, Bill, you... I don't know. I don't know if it's a puppy any longer, but you have been a dog owner for for not that long. Yeah. So uh, we have one uh, Frenchie that is about I think she's closing in on a year and a half or so. Uh, I think we got her in July or August. So um, getting close to a year and a half. And then we have a four month old uh, black lab um, who is very much four months old, um, (laughs) is very uncoordinated at times. And uh, yeah, just loves to bark, loves to make lots of noise. Um, The Frenchie is very quiet for the most part um, until someone uh, you know, drives by, uh, if she's looking out the window or, um, knocks on the door, if she's in the vicinity, then, then she'll, you know, bark and, and make a bunch of noise. But otherwise she's, she's pretty quiet, but, uh, all live the, uh, black lab is, uh, is a talker. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's an issue, especially since, uh, my fiance also works from home right now. Um, and she, <laughs> gets the brunt of it because you know she's always on uh meetings and calls and stuff like that so uh it's been entertaining to (laughs) say the least and she refuses to use like uh you know proper recording equipment as uh i think a lot of other people can kind of attest to when you're having meetings and you hear babies crying in the background or whatever and it's just like can can you invest in a microphone maybe um but no uh it is what it is so yeah that's that's been entertaining um but yeah uh, i think last time we talked uh my mother had covid uh she that's is right. no longer uh has covid so uh good, mild good. symptoms all around for her um so good news there uh Let's see what else is going on in the in the world. Oh, uh, movies are definitely not coming back like ever. So no, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, this this uh, I was I was hoping that Dune would be kind of sticking around for that December release, and it's it got moved. It was like so. late December too. I I, I believe yeah. like it was it was supposed to be right at the tail end, but. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, well, I mean, hopefully, hopefully, what we end up with is uh, some finely polished products. But you know, even sure. then, I say that, and I'm like, yeah, probably not. You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll probably get whatever we get. So, yeah, I get the sense that the the next year is going to be a really weird one for releases because you'll have all of the uh, like the current ones that have gotten pushed back, plus whatever was still on the slate. And mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like it's going to be an extremely mixed bag that we're going to be discussing for 
a while once once that kind of comes back into who knows uh, into maybe play. maybe February won't be a bad month you know maybe oh my maybe gosh a, you know could you crazy, imagine if so. we had a stacked February for once that would be amazing <laughs> <laughs> just start to start the summer blockbuster season early let's yeah. go. The, the January always has a Liam Neeson movie or, or two, and sometimes they're good. So, you know, there you I'll, go. I'll hope for that. Um, but uh, yes, things are they're not dire because that would suggest that these weren't good ideas. It's still as, as someone in our uh, Slack said. You can be part of our Slack, too, if you uh, join our Patreon. I, I got to put that Ooh. plug in there. But as uh, the people in our uh, as a person in our Slack was saying, you know, it's it's a reaffirmation that it's going to be a while <laughs> before we get back into a movie theater. But, you know, I, I'm glad that people are staying safe and movie theaters are like, maybe it's not the best time to open up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as, as we're seeing with, uh, Regal, what was the latest? I, I, I believe, right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think AMC has said anything from, um, no, the last it was Regal. that made noted. the big splash. Right. Yeah. It yeah. seems like not, not yet, but it wouldn't surprise me if that announcement came soon. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Oh, I, I will say briefly, I am happy that I am here today because uh, so uh, my girlfriend Emily and I have been using chargers that we continue to put electric tape on because they continue to fray. Wow. And, uh, Michael, I, I will send you some <laughs> chargers right now, sir. Come on. And, oh, uh, so I was, um, plugging it in and there was a big spark and I thought for a second that I ruined Emily's computer's, uh, charger port. Uh, thankfully I only singed right next to it. So that was, that was a fun <laughs> thing that I was terrified about today. Wow. Uh, I know. I, truly exciting times. Give it up. Um, give it up for those uh, proprietary chargers. Fuck those things. I don't. <laughs> I don't know why everybody hasn't just gone over to like a USB C or something like that. Um, but that being said, I ordered a bunch of USB C to USB A. If you don't know what that means, uh, it's just a smaller USB C that solves, uh, or smaller USB port that solves the in. Never-ending issue of turn, uh, plugging it in upside down, and then realizing that why isn't it going in? And then you flip it over, <laughs> and then it finally plugs in. And you're like, "Oh, that's that's dumb. Why didn't they make it like double-sided?" Well, USB-C is double-sided. You can't plug it in wrong. Um, it's much smaller, thinner, and it also accepts charging. And uh, I, anyways, I uh, my new laptop uh, accepts USB-C, and I was like, "Awesome, cool. I'll go get some USB-C charging." cables and uh plugged one in the other day nope doesn't function not enough wattage through there i was just like well okay this is dumb so you didn't yeah. spend enough money so they so they're not mm-hmm. allowing you to do that yeah so so even even that though it's not proprietary it is proprietary so yeah i don't know fair enough i it should be said that i may be one of these chargers that sparked today I maybe got it for $30 on Amazon because it was a bestseller instead of the <laughs> official charger, which is something <laughs> like $75. Yep. So yep. I, 
maybe I deserve this, but also it was scary because I thought I ruined <laughs> my girlfriend's computer for a second, which is super cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's what's new with me. I, I do want to briefly give our thanks to Mubi, which is the... Uh, which is the, sorry, uh, curated streaming service uh, that has an ever-changing collection of hand-picked films from new directors to award winners from literally everywhere on Earth. And, uh, yeah, their uh, movies available to watch in 190 countries. And the films are just, it's, I, I, I can't say enough great things about them. I do briefly want to spotlight the film of the day today, which is called South Terminal from, oh my, I'm going to need to pronounce this name, uh, Rabah Amur Zamak, which is uh, an Algerian film from 2019. And as movie synopsis says, a nameless doctor is drawn into the front lines of a violent struggle between a government and an armed uprising. Echoing Casablanca's hero fighting to keep wartime neutrality and transit's clever use of an unnamed locale, Amur Zamesh vividly tells a timeless story of Paramount Agency. So that film, along with the rest of the 29 films and then a huge library, are all available uh, on Mubi. And if you would like to try a 30-day trial of Mubi, you can go to um, mubi.com slash filmstage. That's mubi.com slash filmstage. And uh, now with those things out of the way, um, we can move on to uh, today's movie, which is the aforementioned uh, Dick Johnson is Dead from director uh, Kirsten Johnson. It is uh, about how Kirsten Johnson copes with her father's uh, Alzheimer's um, and... She does this in some uh, fanciful ways that maybe involve staging various ways he could die. Um, and so uh, Kirsten Johnson, we've actually previously talked to about on the podcast with her last film, uh, Camera Person. Um, and, and that was a, a very different kind of film, but uh, n- nonetheless one that was very much about... Uh, capturing, you know, uh, moments um, and, and capturing moments and, you know, whether it was uh, lightning going across the sky or a child being born. And this is definitely uh, more structured, but nonetheless, uh, every bit of heartfelt and one might say devastating. <laughs> um, but so to to start, I, I want to start with Abby um my my kind of uh two first questions are um what is your familiar familiarity with Johnson before this and what are your kind of uh general introductory thoughts about Dick Johnson is dead uh sure so I I was aware of camera person before this I had not yet seen it I still have not yet seen it but I will after this um because I I liked this movie quite a bit um, my initial thoughts about, uh, Dick Johnson is dead is that it, uh, it feels like it really taps into, uh, a very familiar feeling, which is like the, the fear of, 
of losing a parent uh, and uh, or or any any loved one really. I feel like it it strongly applies to like anybody who's ever been through an experience of having to um, go through the loss of a family member or even like thought about the possibility of losing a family member in the near future. Um, and the uh, the way in which that she um, she tackles this and the way that she does it in in uh, collaboration with her dad. Um, is is very creative, and uh, I feel like that creativity speaks to um, kind of a similar curiosity about humanity that you see in both of them, and also just a deep love that she has for her dad that I feel like is apparent in every moment of the film. Um, and I think what's what's moving about it is not just the ideas behind it, but also just the amount of effort and the clear amount of of love that is present in the way that she chooses to show this and the way that she chooses to kind of display her her feelings and her memories and her affection for her dad. I, I am curious, as you are the only one of us who is able to see this in a, in a theater, what was the a theater reaction uh, like to this? Um, it was really positive. I uh, I saw it at the uh, the True False Film Festival, which is a uh, documentary film festival based in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, and Kristen Johnson was actually at the screening. She stood up and did a did a Q and A afterward, and it was a it was a packed house. Uh, and yeah, it was it was very emotional. Uh, I feel like there wasn't really a dry eye in the room. Um, <laughs> and uh, what's interesting is that it feels like there there was sort of an ongoing theme of of movies that were really of kind of a similar ilk, uh, at, at that same festival we had that and, uh, Mucho Mucho Amor, the, uh, the documentary about, uh, Walter Mercado and, hmm. uh, another documentary from, uh, Chile that's going to get, a it's, it's gotten a small theatrical release. It's on VOD and will be on PBS in January called The Mole Agent. And all hmm. of them are about like aging and memory loss and, um, just kind of looking back on on one's life as a whole and the importance of presence and family and love in all of them. So yeah, it's it was it was a pretty strong love vibe the entire weekend, and and this movie con- contributed a lot to it. Yeah, I, I have to imagine it was uh, a, a really really interesting atmosphere because these days you just it's not that you don't get tearjerkers these days, but th- still there's something so. Uh, universal uh, about this that I that I think's really interesting. I, I mean, I guess partly it's dementia. There's so many people who experience or you know experience family members or friends with dementia, but it's still uh, something that I, I really wish I could have seen in a theater. Uh, to be honest, which I suppose I could say that about many things these days. But um, before we get back to that, Bill, what are what are kind of your um, introductory feelings about this one? So, I mean, I watched Camera Person with y'all and we did the podcast mm-hmm. on it. Um, you know, I'm I'm not going to reiterate what I kind of said back then, uh, mainly because, uh, honestly, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but I do remember that I, I had feelings that it was somewhat fleeting, that it was more of um, – more of what exactly it was, right? It was mm-hmm. a mishmash of images uh, that didn't ultimately end up in the documentaries that she had made over the years. Um, it was kind of behind-the-scenes looks and things like that, um, B-roll, uh, as some people call it. Um, and, you know, trying to make a a narrative or some kind of through-line 
throughout that. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really go for it. Um, I, it's not that I don't necessarily like things that are a little bit more ethereal and stuff of that nature. It's just, um, in the documentary form, I feel like, uh, I'm usually showing up for something a little bit more, uh, more meaty to chew on. Um, so this one actually was much more up my alley of, of the films of hers that I've seen. Um, and so I really enjoyed this. Uh, I think I enjoyed it mainly because of Dick, to be honest with you. Um, (laughs) he is, he is such a fascinating character and he's so game for all of this that is happening. Um, you know, and I appreciate that Kristen throughout this is constantly, kind of second guessing herself and kind of trying to make sure that, you know, while she has a father that is a willing participant, she's also not pushing him beyond his comfort levels because I mean, you know, honestly, she, he is dealing with, uh, on the onset of kind of dementia or just memory loss in general. And so even she maybe feels like she can't be 100% confident in that if he gives a yes now, it won't change, you know, five minutes from now. Um, or it won't be something that he truly understands, you know? Um, so it's, it's just a fascinating portrait and, uh, I really enjoyed it. You know, I've, I've dealt with, uh, uh, dementia and, and things of that nature through, uh, two of my grandparents, uh, before they passed away. And, uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's really something to, to watch and see. Um, you know, it's almost a cliche at this point, but, you know, sometimes cliches have a lot of truth in them. And, uh, certainly dementia has a lot of truth in that. Um, the things you talk about, the things that, you know, just the simple things, they, they start to forget. Um, they start to ask questions that sometimes are really upsetting because, you know, maybe you went through something else and, you know, have tried to move on in your life and they keep bringing it up. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting time, uh, to deal with, uh, you know, parents, grandparents, any kind of family members, anybody that you know well. Um, so yeah, I, again, uh, I think Dick the is is the standout of this film and i think uh he's really what gives this film a lot of life and uh which is appropriate since it's all about him yeah i i I think that's i think that's really interesting that you bring up the the willing participant part because there is yeah i mean i i can personally say that like i I would never want to document this in a way to remember it. I mean, I think there's that really interesting scene about, I don't know, maybe halfway through where Kirsten literally says that she has not a frame of her mother uh, before she had dementia. Um, Mm -hmm. As in, like, the only thing she can uh, remember or the only thing, you know, she can show her kids, for instance, is like that. And time, and it it is interesting because, like, you know, as they say literally from the beginning of the film, like, we are very much seeing that deterioration, and it is 
but it, but I guess like uh, contradicting that is like uh, Abby. I think you said this. It's really kind. Like this is for as dark mm-hmm. a subject matter as it is. It's um, it's ultimately pretty gentle uh, about the things it's showing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of wanted you to go back to that a little bit, Abby, if you, if you could. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's 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 definitely a darkness there in sort of all the things that some of which are being discussed, but some of which are not like, uh, her, her mentioning that she doesn't Kristen mentioning that she doesn't have, uh, any footage of her mother before she had Alzheimer's. And so there's nothing on record of, of the person that she was, um, and how that kind of translates into her wanting to have a record of her dad because she knows what a vibrant person he is. And she also has a preview because of what her mother went through of the person that he will become. And she knows that that's very different. And I think there's also, there's a genetic element of it too, right? Like her, her mother had dementia, her dad had dementia. She's probably going to sure. have dementia at some point too. And so there's definitely a reckoning of, of what her children will remember of her and uh, what her children will remember of that experience. Um, and so all of that is in there and that feels like it should be very heavy, but ultimately what it is, I think, is that she makes this conscious decision to make it more of a celebration of everything that her dad mm-hmm. has been able to do in his life. Um and there are just so many parts of it that just it feels like a gift that she's giving him, like this opportunity to um, to go out and have fun and try new things and reengage with people and places that he's loved before he can't remember it anymore, just so that he can hold on to this positive memory for as long as he can. And um, she has him move in with her. And that in itself is I mean, it's a sacrifice on her part because she's giving up part of her apartment for him to live there. Um, a one but it's bedroom also, apartment. Oh yeah, a one City. bedroom apartment. Yeah, <laughs> but also it's such a lovely setting for him to be in because he's oh, with her, sure. and that's reassuring. And they're right down the hall from her, uh, from her ex husband and his husband and their kids, and so like they can all still be kind of a family unit, which is a wonderful thing for him to be able to experience at the end of his life. Um, so I think the the thing that makes it such a warm and sweet thing is that it's it's clearly it's. You can see the amount of love and affection that this family has for each other. You can see the fun that they have together. And you can also see kind of the adults that it's produced, right, in in Kirsten, who is a really talented filmmaker, and her brother, who it turns out I think is a, a archaeologist or paleontologist of some kind. Like they, they have oh, a, yeah. a moment where he's interviewed like on a, a History Channel documentary. So clearly he's doing pretty well too. And there's just kind of a – I didn't make that connection. That was her brother yeah. on the yes. on the show. Yeah. He was – oh my god, I didn't make that yeah, connection. Yeah, and so it just kind of gives you this this window into what's like clearly a warm and loving and really extraordinary family and just kind of a sense of – how that continues to produce really interesting and engaged and loving people. And I feel like that's, that's a real, a real great part of the movie as well. I I think it is really interesting that so much of this is, yeah, it's, it's like, I I think it's fascinating because it's like fixating on these cycle or it's not even fixating. It's hinting at these cycles and, you know, implying a number of things. Like I love, for instance, the repeated, uh, acknowledgement that she's in the closet doing, uh, you know, memos uh, on on her phone. You, you know, when she's recording the audio narration and things like there is so many things where she's like acknowledging the own, um, you know, her own participation in this, and I, I think that does bring me 
you know, one thing I was very surprised, you know, I had, I had heard about this, I think back at Sundance, I think that might've been where it premiered even before, uh, true false. Um, don't have that in front of me, but I believe that's the case. But I, either way, um, I was surprised given how high concept this is. Like, very little of this movie is actually staging the deaths. <laughs> like, it's it's maybe fifteen minutes sure. of, the, of the movie. Like, I think it's I think it's really cool that there's uh, so much focus on like behind the production stuff mm-hmm. and and like. You know, whether what is life like, you know, whether yeah. exactly like even like even making things of the flubs, like, for instance, when, you know, they're what might be the first take in acting the thing where his neck is bleeding and you can tell he's like deeply uncomfortable because <laughs> it's like cold out and it's, you know, a liquid on his on his shirt. And, and I think there's there's something not only in subject matter, but I think it's really humanizing that you're constantly being reminded this this is a production. And why, personally, it may seem a little less manipulative to me, given the possibilities here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility. Um, and also another thing that I think we haven't quite mentioned yet is that in addition to the death scenes, she also stages these really elaborate uh, scenes of her dad in the afterlife. <laughs> Um, and kind of their her her yes. vision of heaven, uh, which I think is also a gift in itself because it just tells you how many details she knows about her dad's life and all the things that are important to him and the things that he would want to experience in like an idealized afterlife situation. Like he gets to see her mother again. He gets to eat like all the chocolate cake he wants, which is like a thing that's repeated throughout the movie is like how much mm-hmm. Dick loves chocolate cake <laughs> sure. um, and how much that's like caused health issues for him in the past. Like, of course in heaven, he gets to eat as much cake as he wants and there are no problems. And he gets to like sit <laughs> yes. in his favorite chair and his, his uh, malformed feet are like miraculously healed because she knows that's a thing that he's sensitive about. And I feel like that, that also kind of takes away from the manipulative element of it because it's clear that she just, she knows her dad so well and she knows the things that she wants for him and like the things that she feels like he deserves. And it's exactly like the kinds of things that we would want for anybody that we love. Like, of course you deserve the world. You deserve absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. I think it's too, I, I was, I was thinking about this odd thing that like, there's a weird thing about being present. Like there's something kind of weird that the camera is constantly on, not only when they're staging things, but, um, I, I think uh, Nick Newman actually in the the film stage interview, uh, I made the I made the the film stage interview. Excuse me with uh, Kirsten Johnson. Um, I made the point that a lot of this film it seems like we don't deserve to see, <laughs> and I'm not just speaking about like uh, the last scene which um, you know they they stage a, a funeral. Um, like, like so much of this movie feels like, I don't know if I should be watching this in a, in a way. Sure. Like the conversations with uh, Dick about him waking up in the middle of the night and like going outside to uh, Kirsten and his. Catch a train. Yeah, and like he's on a secret mission to catch yeah. a train and, you know, all these conversations that are kind of seem like day to day things that you wouldn't necessarily have a camera ready to go for. Um, they're being caught. They're being you know uh shown on camera uh you know it's not just audio 
uh, it's also, you know, the visual as well. Um, and I think, you know, part of that nature is just she more than anything, more than likely is just recording her father's day to day because she knows that her kids won't ever get to see this side of their grandpa again, you know? Um, so she's almost saving that stuff, uh, maybe not for the film, but for just, you know, home videos, right? I mean, that's, that's what a lot of people's home videos are, are just kind of, you know, Hey, here's this, here's this action. But, you know, it it reminds me of like Mad Men or any of these other shows when you kind of like flashback and when, you know, film was, uh, you know, relatively new, uh, as far as, you know, the consumer side and, you know, people are just like, Hey, let's, uh, let's have a dinner and, uh, let's all smile and let me just record y'all <laughs> smiling and eating. And it's like, why are you recording me smiling and eating? Like, this is so weird. And you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, I don't know, I'm fascinated by this technology. Uh, maybe I'll watch it. Maybe I won't, you know, I mean, it, it, people do dumb shit with their cameras all the time, especially their cell phones. You know, they record, uh, a, a concert the whole time. And it's like, what are you doing with that? Like, you're not going to post that on Facebook. Yeah, you're not going to post that on Facebook and someone's going to be like, hey, thanks for recording that concert for me. That was awesome. Like, nobody's going to say that. <laughs> it's going to be shitty, you know, audio. It's going to be shitty video. Uh, it's just like one of those things where you just kind of capture yourself or catch yourself maybe catching a, a couple of snippets or things like that. And you're like, why am I doing this? You know, um, but you know, it's, it's those kind of moments that, uh, capture people kind of in their own element without having to be staged and without having to be on or things like that. So, um, I think, I think this film does a good job of, of showing those behind the scenes because yeah, Michael, like you're saying, if this was all about just staging the death scenes or the afterlife scenes, uh, this would be a very different movie. Um, but it's, it's those private moments with Dick. It's those, those in between moments that, uh, really kind of stand out um you know him flirting with his high, uh college sweetheart is just like you know it's it's sure. so <laughs> just okay all right this is happening you know um yeah i i i really enjoy a lot of that kind of behind the scenes stuff that uh you know just shows him as as such a character that he is well, I, I, I am curious related to this. It seems like you both don't think it's manipulative at all. Is there anything where you had trouble watching? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think uh, because the movie starts where it does, where, where Dick is, um, he, he, he's much more with it than he is in the later parts of the movie. Um, I feel like that that does become For difficult sure. to watch because we see him mm-hmm. so he's so inquisitive and he's so interested and alert uh, and aware of like everything and wants to be involved in stuff and has all these questions and thoughts. Um, and to see that fade is really sad. I feel like the um, the the scene Bill that you mentioned with the uh, the the blood on his neck where he's uncomfortable. That one was kind of difficult for me to watch because it's clear that he like he's really kind of disoriented and unhappy. And I think uh, Kirsten at some point stops the scene because it's become too difficult. But like, yeah, he says that uh, having the the fake blood on his neck and uh, the scene that they're filming, that it's more painful than his heart attack. 
um, because it's it's more yes. it's just more physically uncomfortable, and you just think, well, that is like. First of all, that doesn't seem possible because a heart attack is like fatal, and this is not. Sure. But um, but and, also, and you can even you can even tell like Kristen at that point is is it Kristen or Kirsten? I'm, I'm uh, Kirsten. Okay. Kirsten. Okay, so like I, I Kirsten does. Okay, but I might go be totally that. wrong. Um, okay, so Kirsten even asks him at some point, and she's like, "Are you sure, Dad? Like it's it's that bad?" And he's like, "Yes," and she's like okay, I'll take this seriously then. You know, she's, she's kind of like, are you just hamming it up right now? And he's like, no, this is awful. And, and it, it is surprising. It's, it's just like, really, that's, it's that bad. It's, uh, you know, and I, I did like the fact that early on when he's mentioning the heart attack, he's, she's asking him, was it the most painful thing he's experienced? And he says, yes. But he goes into so much detail and then he kind of backtracks and he's like, well, the whole ordeal was the most painful thing I've, I've experienced. And you kind of put pieces or put together the pieces that, yeah, at, you know, this, that sequence happens early on in the film and he's, he's very psychological, right? Um, and that's, that's his background, right? He's a psychiatrist and, uh, you know, he's very thoughtful about the things that he says and how he says them. So, you know, he's like, yes, it was painful. And then he's like, okay, well, the whole ordeal was the most painful thing, you know, and you're like, okay, so it wasn't just the, the heart attack. It was, it was the whole, you know, all of it together. So it's, it's kind of one of those things where he's, he's kind of, uh, qualifying his own answers originally, and he doesn't really do that a whole lot towards the end. Um, you know, and yeah, you do see the progression of him kind of experiencing things and, you know, not being able to kind of stay in that moment and, uh, and analyze as he usually does. Right. And, and because she, she loves her dad so much and because she, she has that knowledge of him having described in detail why that experience was so uncomfortable for him and why that was so painful to have him describe it that way when he doesn't have the faculty for it. So clearly it's a much more visceral reaction. Like that, that feels even more tender. Like none of us want mm-hmm. to see family members who we love suffer. And so even when somebody says that and you don't feel like that could possibly be the case, like just to know that they're even thinking of feeling that way, just, it really, really hurts. Yeah. I, I, I think the, those details too are really interesting. I, I think you have a direct contrast too with his, uh, the person he had a crush on um, towards the end I, I think Kirsten directly asks her, do you think about dying? And did it, uh, like I'm paraphrasing here, but do you think about dying and has it changed uh, after you were married to a pathologist or, or something? Like she wanted it to be related to, you know, her her widow's job or something, but it was actually like her just having to think about death and you can like see her trying to process that and she I think she literally says I'm not worried about Mm -hmm. the details which is like you know so counterintuitive to what like Kirsten is interested in the entire movie like she wants that moment to moment emotion uh, about these things yeah it's 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 interesting that she's kind of reaching for that moment um and and even keeps it in you know she doesn't get the answer that she necessarily seems to be wanting and she still puts it in the film um and you know there's there's just a lot of things in here um 
you know, the fact that they momentarily uh, lose or not lose her the, her father, but they leave him in a house where he's kind of all alone thinking that he will be fine for a short period of time. And clearly he was very distraught yeah. about that situation. Um, and, you know, it's just one of those things where she's keeping in a lot of stuff that, you know, maybe a lot of other people would kind of omit um, just, you know, to to kind of, I guess, inflate their own character in a way, you know, uh, not show their mistakes. And uh, Kirsten doesn't do that in this, um, which just, again, makes it feel all the more raw and real um, because we get those kind of insights um, and we get to kind of see her interaction with her father and, you know, the people around her. Um, I think the, the doctor scene uh, in particular is, is pretty powerful and, and interesting because, you know, yeah. you're seeing a man be tested knowing he's being tested to prove that his memory is still live and vivacious and, you know, still, still with it. And, you know, you can see him struggling. Um, and he really does get that kind of what she calls kind of this, this, uh, blank stare on his face at times because he's trying to think and, you know, it would be like having someone, you know, get tested on a question and see them falter, you know, uh, while being recorded and knowing that they're failing the test. You know, I, I can't imagine what that felt like for her. I can't imagine what that felt like for him. Um, and, you know, you kind of go through that emotional roller coaster as well while watching it. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I, I too, it, it, it was very weird because we had a, a very, similar experience to uh, the brief home video footage where uh, Kirsten mm-hmm. is talking to her mom and she says, do you know who I am? Uh, it, we, uh, I, I'm speaking of my, um, my girlfriend and I, her, her grandmother uh, passed about, I don't know, four years ago. But anyways, we saw her about a month before she passed. And, you know, she, she looked very withered in the hospital bed, which was like, you know, something I wish I could unsee in a way. But the weird thing was um, she, you, you know, um, my, my girlfriend and her mom would say their last name and she'd be like, oh, I know their name is Lindbergh. She's like, oh, I know Lindbergh. <laughs> like she was talking about her children, but it was still like she was talking about them. Like, you know, she's there's someone she went to high school mm. with or something. It, it's such a like it's such a strange sensation that I think this gets across about dementia. Like you always hear about like oh, someone, you know, forgets to turn their oven off. And I feel like that that does totally happen. But there's like, it's those other memories or things that like hurt a lot more. And I think this movie has like maybe a dozen or so of those moments that hit even even mm-hmm. deeper. You know, like I, even when she's like, I, uh, when she has yeah. to take away his car, that's that's the car thing is 
especially for Americans, right? Um, we are su- such a car centric culture. Um, mobility is life and, um, you know, mobility is freedom and things like that. Um, and to hear about him, like driving right through a construction site and then making it home four miles further on four flat tires is just, you know, it's, it's, it's so scary because it's one of those things where you, a, you're not having that conversation with the person that remembers that situation, right? They don't remember what happened. They just remember that they got on the road, something happened, right? And then they were home and they were being told that X happened. And they're like, what? No, I didn't do that. And it's like, okay, (laughs) dad, like go look at your car. Like someone did it in your vehicle. Um, and it's one of those situations where you're not having that, again, you're not having that conversation of, Hey, we need to take away your car keys with the same person, right? That person that you're having that conversation with is like, I'm fine. Like I remember everything that I've done today. And it's like, that's great. But for five or 10 or 20 or 30 minutes, you basically have a blackout moment and your brain isn't functioning the way it is, you know, is, is used to. And so you are kind of on autopilot, you know, again, that, that sense of mobility is, is so paramount to their sense of freedom and life. Um, you know, um, it's just one of those things that's, that's ingrained in our culture and for you to take it away, um, it's almost as heartbreaking as for you to tell them that you're going to move them into, you know, a nursing facility or something of that nature, um, where, you know, they're going to be watched, you know, 24 seven, um, or, you know, at the very least, you know, uh, kind of, uh, maintained corralled in a way. Right. Um, so it's, it's scary to think about those kind of things. Um, you know, especially with the parent and having, having that kind of conversation, it's, it's tough. Uh, my, my dad's, uh, uh, wife, he, uh, they had a situation where they would start taking pieces out of his car to keep it from being able to turn on. And he was so with it when he was determined to get back on the road back in his car that he would put those pieces, he would figure out what was missing and put them back. They disconnected his battery. They, you know, uh, unplugged this, they unplugged that they did all these different things. And, you know, without giving, you know, without having watch over him 24 hours, it was basically impossible to keep him from getting back in his vehicle and, and driving down the road. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's scary because I, I like the fact that she, she does something very smart, which I don't know if she was doing it just simply because it was the easiest way or if it was just the only way. But I mean, she takes his car away stating you're going to live in New York. There's no reason for you to have a vehicle. 
right? You're going to live with me. And, <laughs> sure. and, it's, and it's just like, yeah. I can't really. And even, even then he's like, well, I'm going to be here for a couple of days. And she's like, dad, it's a couple <laughs> of days. You know, you, you're not reasoning with someone that can necessarily be reasoned with well at that point. You know, you're you're taking away so much of their kind of life up until that point. So. Right. And I feel like the the loss of his car is sort of the first real sign that we see, like the first like evident sign that that things are not well with him. Like up to that point, he still seems like, you know, uh, he might forget things a couple times, but like he's, he's still pretty with it. He's still pretty active. And, uh, and I think it's like right after that, that like she, um, says that he, he did the thing where he drove through the, the construction site. There's, I think like, like an implied staged car accident, um, Mm -hmm. which is one of like one of the filmed death (laughs) scenes. Like it's not explicit. You don't see his body or anything, but like there's, there's sound used, um, which I think like speaks to a real fear that she has in that moment. And then, yeah. And then his car gets taken away. And from then on, you kind of realize that, yeah, he really is in a spot where this needs to be taken care of and it needs to be done. And you kind of understand in that moment too, like why she and her brother, even though they had gone through this with their mom before, like didn't realize until it was almost too late that their dad needs help. Cause he doesn't really display any other signs apart from like occasionally booking appointments like doubling up mm-hmm. instead of organizing them out. Um, but yeah, it just, sometimes it sure. takes a really drastic thing like that. And that's, it's, it's a, it's a pretty strong sign. Yeah. You're just making me realize that almost all of the deaths they stage are freak accidents. Like it, it is, I wonder if there were some scenarios like that car wreck you said that is only sound for instance. Um, like, I'm wondering if there were some things that just were, like, too difficult for her to reenact because they seemed too possible. I, I, I mean, at least the one I would say is him falling mm. down the stairs. Like, that seems like, you know, I'm not saying a ventilator couldn't fall on him or, you know, uh, someone couldn't mm. hit him with a, a wooden beam. But those seem slightly <laughs> less uh, less possible. Uh, right and i mean they they're freak accidents and also they're they're like they're sudden like he dies right there which i think is very different from the kind of mourning that she's actually experiencing where like it's happening in real time so i feel like there's some catharsis to that too where it's like maybe taking the sting out of his death by like knowing that he will die and like staging all of these forms of mortality over and over again but also like there's there's a sense of relief in there too where it's like you know, if he did die this way, I wouldn't have to live through like all the stuff that I know is coming, which mm-hmm. I feel like there's there's like a whole lot of, of psychological baggage that you could unpack with that. But I also totally understand <laughs> it because like when you do have a family member, like I've I've lost all my grandparents at this point and like watching my parents go through that, like there is sort of a combination of mourning and sadness, but also relief that it's, you know, that yeah. their pain is done, that that's finished and that you no longer have to live through sure. that and that they no longer have to live through that. But for her, I think it's very different because it's like she's experiencing a little bit of death every day. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's one of those things for him to kind of mention that they lost his wife yeah. long before they actually lost his wife. Right. And and he's very adamant about that. And again, I think I think a lot of this 
interesting stuff happens because Dick is such a willing participant, but he's also so curious. He's also so just present minded about this kind of stuff. He's, I can tell he's kind of a realist, you know, I mean, even his talk about like euthanasia, (laughs) he says it with, yeah, he, he kind of says it with, with like a smile, but it's also like a very knowing thing of like, look, it sucks to watch your wife or your parent or, you know, anybody that, uh, you know, go through this. And, you know, I think it, it's so potent that she even asked him, um, you know, okay, but like, would you want to go through the same stuff that mom went through? And he's like, yeah, sure. You know, I, I, you know, cause he just, is happy to live life. Yeah. It's, it's kind of upsetting to see him basically say, no, I wouldn't want you to, you know, I think he says, uh, pull the plug on me, you know, um, because he's, he would be happy to just keep on living. And it's like, I don't know. It's not that that's necessarily selfish, but in a way it is kind of selfish, right? It's, it's that push and pull. It's, it's his life, you know, um, he gets to kind of choose. It's interesting that he keeps or that she keeps a lot of that kind of stuff in there where he's having very real conversations. And, you know, again, it's it's interesting because he's that subject matter that that is that willing participant to have those kind of conversations with. Right. And I think there's like there's a joke in there, too. Right. Where he's like, just you, you have to ask me first. I'm like, he's not going to remember. He knows he's not going to yeah, exactly. remember. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that also goes back to I think right at the beginning of the movie there's something that Kirsten says about um her her dad having said that uh my heaven is here on earth with all of you, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a very sweet. Um and I think also speaks to the kind of person that yeah, like you mentioned he is that he's very uh he's very present that being around people he loves is important to him. So I think there's maybe a sense that even if he doesn't have his full faculties, at least he's in a comfortable and safe place like that's important. Um, I mean, there's a question you can pile up on top of that, which is like, if you no longer recognize these people, does it no longer feel like a safe place to you? But, um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, there's, there's, there's some complexity to that too, but I think it, it does sort of speak to why he feels the way he does, even though he knows the course that this is going to take. Bill, it it reminds me too, that, that euthanasia conversation, it's interesting yet you talking about it being a little bit selfish or, you know, having a strong reaction to that one. Cause I was feeling similarly, I thought it was really interesting when, um, I, I think Kirsten kind of prompted him by asking, you know, it's something along the lines of, you know, what do you feel bad about when you can't remember something? And he's like, well, you know, I, I feel bad that I hurt someone's feelings. Like, it's this weird thing where he's not, you know, he's not even presently processing that he he missed something. It's only after the fact, like, seeing someone else's reactions. Like, it's, uh, I, which I guess brings another weirdness to, like, the whole question of he's present. Because he certainly seems present, but, you know... I, I, I am kind of curious, or not curious. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, go yeah, ahead. No, go no, no, ahead, I did. That's the end of my. What are you uh, curious about? That's the end of my okay. thought. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where you know, I I 
built a new computer recently. And so I've, I've gotten into all this kind of computer bullshit. And anyways, like you can kind of monitor, uh, what, what kind of amount of your Ram is being utilized right now? How much of your CPU is being utilized? How, you know, how much voltage is going into it? All the, all of these things, right. And you can kind of live view them. And so you can kind of monitor and make sure that things are running the way that, that they should. And you're never going to get that with a human, right? Like you're never going to get a little, a little bar ahead of them saying that they're at 98%, right? Or they're at 50% or they're at 20%, right? You're, you're always going to just have to kind of look into their eyes and see and hope that their eyes are going to reflect back where they're kind of mentally are. And it's going to be harder and harder to look at a parent, to look at a loved one and be able to recognize that they aren't there, even though they're saying and doing the things that they normally would. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, you're never going to get that straight answer from him. You know, it's it's just one of those things where you're just never going to get that kind of clarity from people um, generally because they're they're not being tested 24 seven. You know, they're not being asked to remember, hey, velvet face, you know, red church, you know, things like that. Uh, I can't remember the fifth one. What was the fifth one? (laughs) Bill, if you failed that test, we might need to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, if, if, if you've listened to this podcast, church, yeah, there it there is. There it is. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, if you lif- listen to this podcast enough, uh, you will know that I am uh, famous for my goldfish brain. Uh, I can remember bits and pieces of things, but oftentimes I cannot remember the exact things. So I usually prompt them with some weird queries. Hey, you remember this? And generally Michael and, and Brian or our guests are usually pretty good about, uh, about being able to fill in the blanks there. So that's good. Uh, I, yeah, I have a lot of, a lot of knowledge, but not complete knowledge. I would say I have, I have, uh, I'm, I'm holding on by threads. <laughs> this is why you need to take but, notes, yeah. Bill. That this is the only way mm. <laughs> I sound moderately coherent. About yeah. Things. <laughs> I, I hear it. I hear it. Um, the, the issue is, is that I'm bringing up pop culture references that I wouldn't remember to write down in my notes anyway. So, uh, spitballing, but yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah, that, that was a long winded way of just basically saying that, you know, you're, you're never going to be able to kind of fully realize when people are kind of on their game and when they're not. Um, because generally they're, they're going to seem like they are. And then, you know, for five or 10 minutes, they're going to be completely, you know, bewildered about where they are or who's talking to them or why certain things are happening and all of that stuff. So again, you know, those are kind of cliches, but they're definitely, there's, there's nuggets of truth in there. Did you guys have any feelings about, um, you know, in the, Second into third act, we start jumping around in terms of time. Um, Did you guys have any feelings about the fact that we started jumping in time and maybe spending a few minutes in one year and jumping to another one? Did you... um, uh, Sorry, did anyone have any feelings about that? I think, though, the only thing that kind of... I I wouldn't say that it bothered me. I I think it, it works for the film, but it's definitely... When we said that 
we weren't thinking that any of it was manipulative. I think this part is a little manipulative. Mm. Um, that the film kind of has a there's there's a cliffhanger moment, right? And then uh, the uh, the the funeral that you mentioned before, Michael, happens right after, sure. and it's it's definitely like we're meant to imply something that may or may not actually be true, um, and it turns out it's not. But uh, it's I feel like that is a little emotionally manipulative, but it also I think adds to the sense that we're getting, especially at the end of the movie, where like it's it's sort of like an any day now thing, right? Sure. Like with with Kirsten, like she knows that her dad has very little time left. Um, and that like anything like really could be, could be the end of it. Um, and so there's this constant tension, like right up until the very last moment, like, is he still with us? Is he not? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like you, you could say that that's an emotionally manipulative thing, but I also feel like that's an accurate representation of probably her own emotional state at that moment where she is kind of, she's present with him, but also still mourning like what has happened so far and what will come. So there's there's kind of an interesting push and pull there that I, I sort of liked. Well, I, I think I think that sequence in particular is so interesting because it it kind of touches on this idea of like a funeral will bring so many people together to you know, mourn somebody, but oftentimes kind of reminisce and talk about them, talk about your favorite memories of them, how they touched your lives or things of that nature. Right. Um, and wouldn't it be nice to be alive, to be within your own faculties, mentally, physically, and get to experience some of that kind of joy, some of that remembrance and things like that, that, that death kind of ultimately brings everybody together. But it's like, while that person is still living, you know, they won't, they won't get the benefit of that. And, you know, there's, there's, you know, depending on what you believe about the afterlife or if there is an afterlife or things like that, you know, a lot of times people kind of say that, uh, you know, that's why we're doing this is because they will be able to hear this. They will be able to see this and stuff like that. Um, but you know, just the same, I think, I think it would be nice, um, to be able to kind of celebrate your own life while you're still alive with the people that care about you in that way. Um, so, right. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's, that's, that's part of why I feel like a lot of this movie is a gift from, from Kirsten to her dad, because like, that's, that's an amazing thing to do for a person that you love. And like, I mean, if you, if you really wanted to be that person, you could set up your own funeral and just like hide in the back if you wanted to. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that Dick would ever think to do that because he seems like a nice man, but I think it's great that, that his, that his daughter decided that she wanted to do that for him before he left, like not just have a going away party, but like, treat it like a proper remembrance where like people could get up and share things. And like some of those things that get shared are going to be pretty surprising. And a lot of them are really touching and, and sweet. And you can tell that people are not just like going through the motions. Like they really feel it, even though they know that he's still alive. Um, and, uh, the, the moment where he, he kind of comes back in and walks through the sanctuary up to the front. Like I, I think I had seen it already once before, before watching it just recently. 
um, and had been really moved by it when I saw it in the theatrical setting. I had forgotten how much that 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 moment uh, just brings me immediately to tears. And it was like I it wasn't even like a lead up thing. Like I was fine. I was fine. I was fine. And then I realized, oh, my God, it's <laughs> happening. And there was just like this big swell of emotion where it's like, I can't believe it. Um, and it's just yeah, it's it's just such a lovely thing to to watch. It's very touching to see how well this person is loved. I think it speaks very strongly to the kind of person that he is. Um, and uh, interestingly, like I saw this within the same 24 hour period, like I mentioned before of um, Mucho Mucho Amor, where uh, the the end of that is fairly similar, actually, where Walter Mercado is invited to, um, it's, a, it's a, a museum in Miami is having like a retrospective of his career. And so he goes and he gets like carried in on this big gold chair and it's, it's super gaudy and funny, but like, it's clear he's having the time of his life. Um, and he ended up like dying just within a month or so afterward, very suddenly. And so like, that's, that's a little different in that it wasn't expected, but the, the sense is still there where it's just like, you are being treated as this incredibly special person, which you may or may not have realized that you were. And like, even if, you don't feel like you mattered that much or did that much on a grand scale in your life to somebody you mean the world. And so to see that happen, I think to be able to live through that and to have somebody go through the effort to make sure that you know that I think is, is an incredibly moving thing. I completely agree, but I will also say I hope no one at my funeral plays leaving home with that trumpet because nobody could keep a straight face listening, listening to. Him. That was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. I feel so bad for the guy, too, because he's oh, clearly yeah. like the reason that it sounds so bad is because he's so emotional and like he can't he can't play his darn hunting horn. And so like he's sobbing, but everybody else is like barely able to hold it together, which I feel like is also very reminiscent of like actual funerals. Right. Like yes. there's always one relative who like wants to recite a poem or sing a song and like they have not an ounce of musical talent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, no, I absolutely oh, yes. like. Yes, that that person who takes their speech too long or, or loses track and you know but you're like oh but it's it's still an honor <laughs> for that person so we, we need to still pay attention yeah I'm, I'm of two minds about that that end I, I think what um Abby I think it was you who were saying like you know this is probably very much her present state of grieving and you know she is probably always thinking about that funeral and she's not necessarily thinking about the death as as much as like the decline. There is something that as much as it's probably more honest, um, that's not really this film to, you know, to show him in a nursing home or something like that. Uh, it should be said that uh, the aforementioned interview I actually mentioned in a really hard part to read, uh, Kirsten actually says that he is in a nursing or in a, uh, not a, yeah, I guess a nursing home right now. And, uh, oh, geez. yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to drop that bummer on you guys, but, uh, yeah, she's only been able to see him twice during quarantine. And, uh, this, that's hard. The second time she saw him most recently, he just kept repeating, please let me come home over and over it. Oh. Or please take me home over and over for a half an hour. 
And she just tried everything she could to actually, like, try to talk to him. And, um, you know, she held it together. She, she actually says she held it together for the whole time until she went to the car and, and lost it. But I, I mention this because, like, I think there's probably a movie you could do with that. But, like, the more we're talking yeah. about this, I don't think it's this movie. Um, like, you're totally right. This is meant to be a gift for her dad. It's not meant to be, you know, <laughs> it's not meant to be, here's what it's like for everyone. Like, it's not, an, you know, uh, a, a manual letting people know what they're going to get. How to navigate yeah. it. I, and yeah. I mean, I think Kirsten herself would be like, I don't know how to fucking navigate it. I'm just taking it day by day. Well, I, I was, you know, I was kind of struck by the fact that so often when when you have a parent or a loved one that's going through this kind of situation, you know, you're not able to spend a lot of time with them. Uh, oftentimes, yeah. you know, uh, sick leave or, or things like that don't give you a lot of kind of time in between. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we have jobs where, you know, it'll be taking us away from the house or, you know, somewhere else and we have to focus in. And so I was just struck by the fact that, like, what a blessing it is that Kirsten was able to make this movie about her father going through dementia while also taking care of her father. Mm. Like, you know, I can't imagine that it was it was necessarily easier because, you know, she was able to spend much, so much time with him. Um, but at the same time, I was struck by the fact that, like, her job at that moment was to observe him in a way. Right. And to spend time with him and to interact with him, um, you can definitely tell that she's with him like morning, noon and night. For sure. Right? Um, and, you know, w what a what a weird way to kind of spend time doing your job by also taking care of your parent. I mean, you can see towards the end, um, you know, she has the uh, the kind of Marta. Uh, Marta, uh, the kind of caretaker in a lot of ways, uh, kind of helping out because I mean, even, even if she is kind of spending her time at work, observing him, taking care of him, I'm sure that is mentally and physically draining because you're, you're, you know, using two parts of your brain at the same time. You know, you're trying to take care of somebody, but you're also trying to make, you know, get footage, uh, you know, think about the narrative. You're trying to think about all the stuff, you know, that you need to get, want to get, you know, so, and she's still kind of making all of those kind of, uh, uh, afterlife, uh, scenes and the death scenes and all of these other things. So she's, you know, full on in a full documentary production while also having to take care of father. So, you know, um, but yeah, I, I thought that was interesting that she was able to, to spend her job taking care of him as well. There's something really refreshing to me about seeing documentarians like, acknowledging what others are saying. I mean, obviously this is her father, so it's a little bit different, but personally, I 
<laughs> I'm I'm tired of documentaries at this point that don't acknowledge that there's someone behind the camera and talking to someone and interviewing them. Like it, it's it's almost like there's something really nice about the the fact to speak directly to what you're saying, Bill. Like she puts down the camera like half a dozen times, like because she just goes to embrace him or just like goes to comfort him. And and I think that that is something that I think some documentaries, um, especially some conventional documentaries. I, I mean, I would say at least of what I understand of true false Abby, isn't, isn't it a little bit more experimental in, in terms of some of the things they have? Like, I think Bloody Noses, Empty Pockets uh, debuted there. Yeah, did that yeah, play there? I think so. It did, yeah. Um, they, yeah, they, they have a pretty good balance of stuff, uh, but it's, it's interesting to, uh, to to visit True False because, like, I feel like the, the programming team has, uh, they definitely have a finger on the pulse of, like, what is interesting and what is new in, in the world of documentary filmmaking that they want people to experience. Like, they're trying to get people out of their comfort zones. Um, but also, like, it's, it's, it's based on all the support of a small town in the middle of the country. Right. (laughs) So like there's, I think there's a, there's a fair amount of, uh, of movies too, that are, are fairly straightforward. Um, so Mm -hmm. like there's, you'll, you'll get a mix of like, of movies like this and, um, yeah, bloody nose, empty pockets or, uh, Crestone was another one that played there. Um, which is a really interesting and strange, uh, experimental documentary. If you want to talk about manipulation on film, mm. that's a, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but also like, uh, the, the Netflix documentary Crip Camp, which like oh, yeah. could not be more of a polished thing. So, um, there's always kind of a mix of, of both because I feel like they, they, they want people to get out and, and support it and buy tickets. And so like they have, they have the, uh, the kind of middle of the road, like easy, down the center blockbusters, and then they will also try to get something a little more edgy. I, I feel like I should ask sure. as well. Do you have a preference for a certain type of documentary, or is documentaries a is, is that a uh, a medium that you're especially interested in as a as a, as a writer? Um, it is actually, and and True False did a, a good job of of making that happen for me because uh, I, I I live in Kansas mm. City, which is about two and a half hours away, uh, and went to school in Lawrence, which is around the same distance. It's about like a 45 minute difference. And, uh, in, in college was aware that there was this film festival happening and like, it was, it was pretty well regarded and it was the closest one to me. Um, and so after college I ended up going and like volunteering and checking it out. Uh, and, and knowing that I, I liked documentaries, but had a fairly limited view of them, mostly just because I'd only seen like Ken Burns films on PBS most of the time. (laughs) So like, yeah, you're used to like talking head stuff with like a very specific set of camera moves. Uh, but yeah, I think the first time I went there, was just like I saw all kinds of interesting things, um, and uh, it really it it changed my perspective on that, and it made me much more interested in in documentary as an art form, and uh, kind of trying to talk that up and get more people interested in it because like there is like there's a whole spectrum of stuff sure. that people can check out. There's experimental filmmaking. There's stuff that flirts with um, with the line between fact and fiction. Uh, there's stuff that flirts with all kinds of different like art forms, there's memoir, like this is like, there's, there's all kinds of stuff and people just don't, you know, they don't know about it until you tell them, until you present them with a compelling example. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, it's like almost anything, you know, especially an art form or, you know, some kind of creative thing. Um, once you kind of, 
uh, break that seal, all of a sudden you just realize like, yeah, the the end is, yeah, the end is bottomless and you're just like, Oh shit. You know, there's, you know, and you know, it's, it's just like, uh, opening the Netflix app, right? You're like, Oh, what? Oh my God, I can watch anything, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And I think actually the, the film that did it for me at, uh, at, at true false was this, it, uh, it's a really weird documentary called Family Instinct that I'm pretty sure was never seen outside of like that and a couple of other film festivals. I think it mm-hmm. did pretty well at, uh, at AFI Silver Docs that year too. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like, it's a Latvian film that I think is, it's it's very similar to like Bloody Nose Empty Pockets to like the, the Ross Brothers sure. stuff where like you're not actually sure how much of what you're seeing is staged. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, for, yeah, for like a 21 year old who had only seen like, you know, like the corporation and like the civil war and baseball, like seeing that presented to you and like just this weird harmony Corinne like thing about people living an awful life. in <laughs> um, Yep. It's, uh, it, it's always funny because, you know, especially going to a festival like that, uh, sometimes you're struck by these things that that you wish had a a bigger audience and and you know nowadays hopefully a Netflix no hopefully a Hulu hopefully some of these others uh, you know streaming services or, or you know uh, things like that will will have access to them or uh, give people access to them but I remember so many times you know, watching a movie and just going, yep, that will never be in a theater and nobody else will. Ever. And <laughs> and I was just like, this is fantastic. This is great. But there's going to be like, people will not know how to market it. People will not know how to sell it. And so, you know, distributors will just stay away from it. And, you know, my fondest hope at that time was that hopefully it would end up on like iTunes or something like that, where you could at least purchase it. Um, and, you know, I, I remember a few films, I was just, you know, for months, years afterwards, just following and seeing if they would get picked up. Um, it's, it's sad to realize that like, you can go to almost any small local uh, uh, film festival, which you know aren't happening right now, but virtually um, <laughs> when they were yes, virtually, sir. yes, uh, and uh, you know see you know more than a dozen things, more than a couple dozen things that would probably never end up in theaters, you know, never end up in in shown in the way that their artist, uh, you know, kind of hoped, uh, for it to ever be seen, you know? Um, so there, there is something interesting because of course, while you're covering a festival like that, um, your other job is also to go see the big thing that's premiering there that already has a (laughs) distributor before you get there. (laughs) Yeah. That always, yeah. And you know, is going to be releasing in two weeks and you're just like, why the fuck am I watching this instead of watching five other things that like nobody's ever going to be able to see. And then you start realizing like, 
well, now I feel like an asshole because I'm going to talk about this thing that nobody's going to be able to see. And uh, instead of talking about the thing that everybody's going to be able to see. And so it, it's it's that weird push pull of like what is commerce, what is cinema and where does that kind of fine line kind of blend? Um, yeah, I and I feel like especially the documentary side is so just laden with things that will never end up getting distributed, um, even more so than the narrative side. Oh, for sure. And like stuff that or like takes forever to see the light of day. Like uh, I think I saw uh, one year when I was covering it, uh, Brett Story, who did The Hottest mm-hmm. August, her previous film, uh, The Prison in 12 Landscapes, which was easily the most amazing thing that I saw at, at the True False Film Festival that year. Like that was all anybody could talk <laughs> about, um, like didn't get a proper theatrical release I don't think like I think it maybe aired on on uh, on POV on on PBS like once and then you could watch it on Vimeo and I think it finally has started to get like actual proper distribution. It's on Criterion on, like, streaming and, right and, and now. That's right. It's yeah. on Criterion. Yeah, which thank God finally because <laughs> it's a great film um, and just all of us who saw it were just like, why hasn't this happened yet? Like clearly this is really good. She's got it. But yeah, it just for whatever reason, like didn't hit, didn't hit, didn't hit. And then finally did. It's fascinating to see the life cycle of some of these things. And, and like I said, like some of these things, they end up kind of playing at festivals. They end up in the festival circuit for, you know, a year yeah. or two. And, and then they finally are like, Win picked up and you're too. like, yeah. Yeah. And you're like, uh, yeah, I saw that two years ago. Like, of course it's good. Right. And yeah. It's just like, wh- where was everybody else? And yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's wild how things like that can kind of go through a life cycle, you know, and you know, people, people shit on Netflix and, and all these online distribution platforms a lot. Um, and you know, in, in a lot of ways, rightfully so. Um, but at the same time, you know, w- wasn't camera person on Netflix as well um, uh, or, or on a, another small distribution platform, I think. Um, I and, you know, Netflix picked this up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and and part of that is, you know, if you want to be uh, pessimistic um, is you know, just going back to the fact that they have to gobble things up to kind of continue to churn through content and all this stuff. But at the same time, it's like, okay, but like, do you want to see the thing or not? And it's like, well, it's available. Okay. And it, right. and it looked great. Got no issues with it being on Netflix. So. I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you're up to the whims of the algorithm, obviously in this case, but it is just fascinating to me of, you know, someone watching the Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein doc, for instance, which is all talking heads that that series, which is like very popular right now. And then, it, you know, suggesting Dick Johnson is dead or something. I'm, I'm just I, 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 I think it's great that Netflix does some of these, but it's still it's still fascinating <laughs> to me that something like this gets picked up. And granted, it's it's not camera person, which is very much a collage and it's more of a of a narrative, but I, I think there is something worthwhile about that that push and pull, and and I feel like a, another corollary to this is, you know, the strange thing about quarantine is 
festivals that I've never been to, I was able to see movies from just because they were virtual. Sure. And it, it was really strange. Like I, I caught things from the New York Film Festival and, you know, some of the things like like time is coming out in a month ish, uh, you know, the small acts anthology, uh, you know, like some of those are coming out soon. But other things I'm like. Oh, I took a chance on a three and a half hour <laughs> experimental doc. I <laughs> I don't know how I would see this otherwise. And and it is like it's weird because Dick Johnson's Dead is is obviously not that intimidating or and it's pretty immediate, but it's still a weird thing where I, I feel like documentaries especially and I might be talking out of my ass here, so correct me if you guys think I'm wrong, but I, I just feel like documentaries are in a strange space even more so than, you know, like indie or genre films or a lot of the things that Netflix oh, picks up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like I, I, I don't know how you correct that. I, I don't know, for instance, how you get someone to see Bloody Nose Empty Pockets and not have a strong reaction. It should be said, actually, our yeah. main host was extremely <laughs> angry uh, that they did not tell him <laughs> that this is being staged. <laughs> that like... <laughs> yeah, oh, I completely get it. Yeah, yeah. And let me tell you, I, I can tell you a little bit about how you get people to see Bloody Nose Empty Pockets. And this is, I know, kind of, this is turning into like a quarantine lament thing. But um, having having been to several years consecutively of, of the, the True False Film Festival, um, like because it's in Colombia and not in like, Park City, where most of the people are there for like skiing season, Absolutely. like actual people live here. <laughs> and like they, they are, they are here like around like year round and they give money to this thing and they see like everybody sees the same movies because like even after the festival, they show at the local theater for like months afterward because they're run by the same co-op. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. And so like when you go there and like you see something really strange that, you know, is never going to get a proper theatrical release, you know, that at least like 50 or 60 other people have seen it and they're going to be there next year. So mm -hmm. when you like just kind of go into like a random theater and you see Bloody Nose Empty Pockets because the Ross brothers are getting like a giant award sure. and like did all this work with um with journalism school students throughout the week. <laughs> like you can, you can ask somebody like, Hey, do you remember like 2011 when family instinct played? Like, this is like that. And there might be like one or two other people in the theater who get it. Sure. Like, I, I think I talked to David Wilson, one of the organizers after that. And I was like, do you remember when you introduced this movie like years and years ago, like this felt like that. And he was like, I can't believe you brought that up. Thank you so much. Nobody ever talks about that movie. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's great to be in a in a place where a where people are so game for that yeah. and like there's such a community spirit that like they will literally support just about anything. Um, mm -hmm. But also that the the organizers know that and so they can kind of use that platform to like maybe not necessarily force but like just strongly encourage people to kind of step outside their comfort zone and like even if you don't get it, you know that somebody else probably will. Um, mm -hmm. And like had had I not seen family instinct all those years ago and like gone into bloody nose, empty pockets, cold. Like, I mean, I still had a very strong reaction to it. There was some of it that I hated and some of it that I loved, but once I thought about it in sure. that context, I was like, Oh no, this is a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas before I just would have been like, what the hell is this? Why are you doing this? Exactly. Yeah. yeah that's, yeah, that's, that's totally fair. And, and there is something, uh, well, I, I guess I'll, I'll ask both of you. Do you feel like you could recommend this to anyone? 
Yeah, I feel like this is fairly straight down the middle, um, especially compared to something like Bloody Noses, sure. Empty Pockets, or this is our go to things like that. I mean, <laughs> we, we, we're we're giving those kind of you know curveballs. Uh, those are those are fairly easy to be like uh, these, those are a little experimental, um, but I feel like this has enough of a narrative through line that it's fairly easy to follow. Um, I would just say that this is kind of difficult subject matter mm. in that way, right? Um, not everybody's going to be game to watch a movie about, uh, you know, someone's father going through dementia and, you know, or early onset dementia and all of these things. Um, maybe that's too raw, maybe that's too real, or maybe it's just depressing and they don't want to deal with that kind of stuff right now, um, which, you know, is every person's right. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say this is, this is fairly easy to recommend, but the issue is overall, um, you know, it takes a certain kind of person to even sit down and watch a documentary, right? No matter how big and popular and, and fun some of these things are, they're not, they, they would much rather watch an indie movie versus a I documentary, <laughs> even if it has a lot of a lot of like awards buzz and like uh, a lot of praise and stuff like that. So, you know, I mean, certain people are just not going to be game for that. And, uh, which is unfortunate, but you know, I mean, it, there's a reason why there's also like a discrepancy in like how many people buy nonfiction versus fiction books, right? Like, you know, that's, that's just our reality that we kind of, there live are in. fictions so. in this. So maybe people will be more open to that. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, there's some fictional. There's like, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a pretty easy movie to recommend. I've, I've recommended it to lots and lots of people. Um, but yeah, I feel like it, it does take a certain mindset to want to go into this um, to start with. Uh, and I, I feel like if you talk about it within a certain context, like the one that we are, where we're talking about like the emotional value sure. of it and like the... Mm -hmm. the the fun of it like if you make it sound easy to watch even though it's not some of it but you know on the surface i think like it's it's pretty easy to engage with then i think people can eventually be interested enough to check it out like for example like i i told my parents over and over and over again that they needed to watch mucho mucho more until they finally did so like it can be done <laughs> um but i i am really curious to see how this movie will play with people of different age groups because yeah. I know it hits me in a certain way just because I like, I, I don't have parents that are the same ages as, as Dick, but I have parents who are not far mm. off, like within mm -hmm. a 20 year span of him. And so like the way that I think about this movie is probably going to be really different than the way they think about this movie. Um, I feel like there, there might be like a certain with me, I, I feel more like Kirsten with them. They might feel more like Dick and that, Mm -hmm. could be a very different and maybe uncomfortable perspective to, uh, to engage with that from. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd be really interested to hear what, uh, what folks of different generations have to say on watching the movie. Cause I think the perspective and the, the takeaway from it might be kind of different. Yeah, that, that is, that is a great point. I, I hadn't considered, um, yeah, a lot of people I'm seeing, you know, you know, even if they're uh, within a couple decades of us, they're they're still not they're still not Dick's age <laughs> while reviewing while reviewing this. Um, so th there is certainly something to be said, whether it's taken differently. And now I'm second guessing whether I should suggest this to my mom. 
uh, she just said, <laughs> right? Like I kind of did too. I was like, oh, you guys will love it. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, oh, will you? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I think they will. Boy. But yeah, it's, I think it's going to be a harder watch for older folks than it would be for like people our age. Yeah. Um, yeah, you may get an uncomfortable phone call afterwards. <laughs> what are you trying to tell me? Oh, right? No. <laughs> are you saying you want to stage a funeral for me? What's going on? <laughs> I'm not going into a home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the last thing I kind of wanted uh, to mention is that it's, I can't believe it hasn't come up yet, but the music, the, the music has these really interesting percussion. It's kind of harsh sometimes. Um, but it's also like the main word I was thinking of is it's kind of like mischievous. (laughs) Like there's a certain, like, especially during those, those, uh, uh, afterlife scenes for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's um I it's just not what I was expecting. But but yeah, I just wanted to uh highlight the that score because uh, again we hadn't mentioned it uh at all. Um is there is there anything else you think we didn't get to or anything else you guys wanted to say about this film though? Um I think we've mostly covered it. I will say I liked the fact that you that you did bring up the music and the fact that it sounded mischievous because I feel like that feels pretty true to Dick's <laughs> spirit. <laughs> sure. um, he seems he seems like somebody who can be kind of a little stinker when he wants to be. So uh, mm-hmm. it it feels appropriate that it's it's both kind of it's yeah. There's there's a there's a odd amount of of joy and irreverence in the music that she chooses for that that I feel kind of reflects their relationship maybe I, for sure. I, I will also say that is the the cake that the kids make for him is the most unappetizing cake I've ever seen in my life. Oh, I know. And they just savage that thing. Like it's it's kind of a cute, like like nailed it sort of a situation and until they cut he it. And it's just like nice. what is that? Yeah. That is not okay. Yeah, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> there are there are knife cutting utensils that are not <laughs> like sharp. A butcher knife. And I, I wish someone <laughs> Oh, yeah, gosh, yeah. That, that was definitely like a straight on like chef's knife. And I was just like, that's not necessary to cut a cake. And also <laughs> you are going to cut into whatever surface is underneath that cake. Like, oh, I know. Whatever's underneath there is not going to survive either. <laughs> like you're just going to have little slash marks all over that thing. So yeah, I, uh, I, I felt very unfortunate about that. I, I also noticed that the, uh, the, the platter that they served the cake on was like deformed in some way. I don't know if that was intentional or not. Um, I thought that was weird. I, yeah, I, I love the silverware. They have that plate with the face on that you can uh, give it a <laughs> hair or a beard with your with your food. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Like the it was it is it is it uh, Dapper Dan is that it or am I thinking of the pomade? I think I'm thinking of the pomade. But yeah, yeah, that's it's the, like the Dapper Dan. Wooly Willy, yeah. Willy, that's it. It's like the the, the magnet yes, thing. Yeah. Yes. I see you had the name. I don't have the name ready. I'm just talking about a plate. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I just want to say that about that that cake and that knife cuz I really thought they were going <laughs> to stage some death where the kids uh k- killed him with a knife. <laughs> oh god. And that would have been traumatic. Yeah. With <laughs> 
that would be traumatic for yes. the kids too. Like, could you imagine her like bringing that out? Like when they're in college, like, ah, oh, look at this thing I shot. And he'd be like, oh my God, mom, no. I was thinking about that with the kids. Not, not the grandpa death scene again. No. Right. Yeah. I was thinking about that. Which actually there's, there's a bit like that kind of right at the beginning too, where they're doing like the, the swing. Yes. And you're just like, somebody's going to kick Dick in the, in, in the chest and he's going to fall backwards and he's going to be hurt. Like, you just know it's going to happen. Yes. But like, he's fine. It's, it's not a big thing. Ugh. But like, I don't know. It just, the part of me that's watched Blue Velvet is like, oh man, he could just kill over whenever. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> it could be really bad. Yes. I was, I was very worried when he fell. I'm like, oh no, he broke something. <laughs> it broke a hip Right? Or yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that might uh, do it for today's conversation because I um, can't get the cake out of my head and I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that will do it for our conversation about... Uh, I forgot the name of this movie. Uh, Kirsten Johnson's Dick Johnson is Dead, which is currently streaming on Netflix. Before we go, I'd like to once again mention that we are brought to you by Mubi. And uh, if you'd like to try a free 30-day trial of Mubi, you can again go to mubi.com slash filmstage. And uh, finally, um, Abby, where can you be found these days? That's a, that's a good question. Uh, you can probably the best way to find me is on Twitter. I'm at, at Abby Olchesi, A-B-B-Y-O-L-C-E-S-E. And I usually post links there to like, articles wherever I happen to write them, whether they're for uh, The Pitch or for uh, Crooked Marquee or whenever a new Cinemaholics episode goes up. I think the new episode of uh, Cinemaholics should be up uh, by now. So uh, we talk, we do talk about Dick Johnson instead on that one, as well as uh, Possessor, the oh, new Brandon Cronenberg movie. Uh, yeah. And uh, Scare Me, the uh, uh, Sundance movie that is now streaming on Shudder. So yeah, we have there's there's a lot of movies on the on on the new episode that we discuss and it was a pretty fun conversation. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really looking forward to Scare Me. I must watch that the other night. I'm a big big fan of uh, Aya Cash, so I need to check that one out. Oh yeah, and she's great in it. Um, and Bill, where can we find you these days? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at cablebfg, uh, but mainly on Instagram at billstagram, and then also uh, on the Slack channel mixing it up. Yes, um, you can also uh, find me on the Slack channel mixing it up, and I, I'd like to say on the episode here as well, we have been doing uh, weekly cinephile nights on uh, Wednesdays uh, at uh, 7 Central. Well, nope, that's wrong. Uh, 6 Central, <laughs> 7 Eastern. And if uh, anyone would like to uh, join... Uh, we'd love to have you. So yeah, you can just DM me uh, at at Snydell on Twitter um, and I'll be able to get you into that. And uh, you do not need to know how to play the game. Uh, and we're, we'd love to have you. So, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Snydell. I'm on Letterboxd. Uh, I've been doing a few capsule reviews, as I mentioned, of New York Film Festival movies. I got to uh, Lover's Rock uh, time and uh, what is it called? Her Socialist Smile. Uh, so I had brief thoughts about all of those on Letterbox, and um, 
yeah, I, I'll be there and uh, posting pieces as I do them. And uh, finally, next week, next week, I have no idea what comes out. So I have no idea what we're talking about. Maybe we'll do some Halloween stuff. We've been in talk with uh, uh, some folks about uh, doing some good and maybe some potentially terrible horror movies. So maybe that will make that happen uh, next week. And uh, so come join us next week. And uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the Film Stage Show. Uh, I promise Brian will be back uh, next week. Have a good one. And thanks for listening. Bye-bye.